You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. There's been a lot going on locally and nationally over the past week or so. Jay-Z sent sent social media, black social media, on fire when he struck a deal with the NFL to produce the halftime show for the Super Bowl. But but he also requires social activism. Colin Kaepernick's situation loomed all over the agreement, and folks had strong opinions on both sides. In our area, we were also in the spotlight nationally and and locally for three stories. Michigan State star Mateen Cleves was acquitted for raping a woman four years ago. A nine-year-old girl was killed by a pit bull. Raising the issue, should there be more stringent regulations on the drug on the dog breed? And finally, the rapper T. Grizzly's car was shot up, leaving his aunt and manager dead. Helping us break down some of the news and these issues is Stephanie Davis, the on-air voice you hear at WWJ Radio 950. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here and good to see you and uh, good to be a part of uh, this podcast. I listen, so uh, I'm honored to be here. Well, that's great. That's great. And tell folks about yourself so that they get to know who you are. They hear your voice, but they don't really know who you are. So tell the folks around the Metro Detroit area, who is Stephanie Davis? Because I know who Stephanie Davis is, but tell the tell the world who Stephanie Davis is. Well, it, and, you know, it's really interesting because I was talking to another journalist friend on my way here. And I'm like, man, I have to I have to answer questions instead of being the one asking questions. So that's a little that's a little different. So and then I rarely talk about myself, rarely. Uh, but since you asked, um, born and raised here in the city of Detroit, uh, the daughter of uh, auto worker, my dad, Joseph Davis Jr., spent uh, over 28 years with Ford Motor Company. My mom worked uh, in retail in downtown Detroit specifically, and she was the one that actually kind of uh, kind of started my career because she was always, as you know, moms are right. They are um your cheerleaders and your marketing managers and so on. And so anyway, uh, my mom uh, worked in retail many years in downtown Detroit, got to know Martha Jean, the queen and uh, kept nagging her about her daughter. My daughter is down in college and she's majoring in communications. And, and so queen uh, acquiesced uh, to my mother's uh, nagging and uh, hired me and that's where I started my radio career, actually in this market, which is uh, really rare, rare to start in a major media market. Um, and it was just uh, the blessings of God. I can't take credit for it. So uh, that's kind of how I started my career. That's exactly how I started my career uh, under Martha Jean, the Queen Steinberg, came in as a reporter, uh, ended up being the news talk director and had a lot of fun doing community 
community radio. And, and, and that is where I got a good lesson on the city of Detroit and its people, its leaders, the history. I knew some, some, some history, uh, but got a different type of history there. And so I started my career in radio, stayed in radio 20 years plus. I'm just going to fast forward. Uh, I'm still in radio. It's been tw- 25 years plus. That is really unbelievable. Um, and so I love radio. I don't know how you can do that when you're only 26 years old. You but know that's what I'm okay. saying? Yes. And this is why I love Darren Nichols. Uh, but no, I, so, so 25 years plus, I did some time with the Detroit Public Schools radio, had fun there with young people and students and training them, working with uh, the legendary and my dear friend Cliff I Russell. I was going to say you were working yep. with Cliff. Yep. And I met him actually at uh, QBH and we befriended okay. each other. And, 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 and so it, the, relationship started there. And so I worked uh, some years at uh, Detroit Public Schools right at the time of the changeover. Some will call yes. it the, 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 the takeover. Um, and when the state actually took control of the yes. district back in the 90s. Back in 1999. Yes, I know. You know it very well. I know it very well because I covered it the day that it went down. Yeah, that that's a whole podcast. Uh. Amen. <laughs> and Amen. so that's who I am. And so I'm currently the anchor a reporter at WWJ. I anchor on the weekends overnight. If you're up at 3 a.m., tune in. I get you around with traffic and weather and we keep you updated. And then also I'm the reporter, uh, the evening reporter uh, in the evenings at WWJ during the week. And um, also, if I can just say, um, I've been a partner for a while with Fresh Nation, um, and we train um, students, grade school students in broadcast training uh, classes, and we're having fun over at Detroit Pal. We start our, our class this coming Saturday for five weeks, okay. and I've uh, been doing that for about a year now, having some fun with some young people, introducing them to the world of broadcasting. That sounds great. That sounds great. So let's just jump right into it. You covered the Mateen Cleaves case this week. Talk to me a little bit about the case and what you noticed um, in the courtroom, uh, I guess, uh, Tuesday. Yep. And and to to be honest, I didn't cover. We, okay. Of course, the station did. Um, and, and a fascinating story, right? Mateen Cleaves acquitted. Uh, found not guilty of the charges of sexual assault and and um, you know here is a young man beloved in Flint and really Southeast Michigan and across uh, the state uh, for his time here and he was just always that face of Michigan State University and so uh, the 41 year old now uh, he was facing second degree criminal sexual conduct and third degree criminal sexual conduct and unlawful imprisonment and uh, assault uh, with intent to commit sexual penetration for allegedly sexually assaulting a woman. This happening back in 2015 at the Knights Inn uh, in Mundy Township after, uh, I believe, a golf outing there. And so the verdict comes uh, about six days after testimony uh, from the alleged victim, her former boyfriend and some police officers, all, you know, who were there. And um, they the closing arguments, if if you were watching this one, it took uh, several hours on Tuesday. But uh, then the uh, the 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 jury coming back deliberating for less than three hours. Yes. Um, before returning that verdict uh, around four twenty on Tuesday, and the jury comprised of ten ten women and uh, four men, 
and uh, two jurors were randomly dismissed, but they came back with that not guilty verdict. And um, Cleves uh, is is a free man and and can put this behind him. Right. And so my question to you is sort of what does this mean for other rape victims? Because we know it's very difficult for victims to come forward. And you see, particularly when you, when it comes to high-profile athletes, when it comes to entertainers, when it comes to high-profile people, um, they end up in a lot of cases being acquitted of these incidents that occur. Yeah, and uh, you know, in this Me Too movement, we're still in that, right? Absolutely. Uh, as as we we we're seeing, I think maybe some effects with the Epstein case. Uh, now charges coming forward. And before you go on, I just want to make it clear: I'm not saying that Mateen Cleves did rape the woman because he was found not guilty. So I'm not making any um, uh, assessment on his case. But I do want to deal with the issue of. What does it mean for victims? For victims. And this particular case, it means, uh, well, it's, you know, for those who who say this, you know, this woman was raped and she came forward. And as you know, there was some back and forth with this case, right? The charges were dismissed and they were reinstated. I think there was a, even an appeals process. And so they came back. And so it it's a, it's a little bit of a blow if you're uh, of someone who's advocating for rape victims to come forward, I think, Um uh, but but a jury and and a lot of times and I don't know if you've sat through some cases where you see the details that come out and the evidence that come out and then uh, the jury comes back and make a decision. And sometimes I have to step back and say, wait a minute, this jury had access to all of the information and then they came back with this verdict. I have to respect that. Right. And so I think to rape victims, they're thinking, you know, this is sort of a blow after this 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 woman had made the claim and there was some video evidence that uh, some say suggested that something was going on. But the jury wasn't convinced. And I've sat on a jury before and uh, you can go back and forth. And I was surprised, really, the three uh, less than three hours that this jury took to come back with a verdict. I think there was some after looking at the evidence, there was there was some confidence in in their decision. And so it, it could be a blow to those who advocate for victims to come forward. Uh, but I always have to step back and say, wait, we didn't see all the details here. And the jury did. So I have to respect that. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, you you always have to keep it in the context of not particularly, not necessarily with this particular case, but his link with Michigan State University, with all of the things that was going on with Larry Nasser, with all of the things that you are hearing and have seen and witnessed over the last eighteen months or so with Michigan State athletes um, and sexual assaults on campus and um, the sort of I guess, cover up mm -hmm. um, of what was going on with those victims. And so Mateen Cleves obviously was not a part of that culture as it was currently going on. Mm -hmm. However, it's still that cloud mm -hmm. of what Michigan State is going through still lingers on, even with those athletes who have graduated and moved away. And so that's a part of the reason why I brought that question, you know, Forward, I think you make an interest an interesting connection. You're you're seeing this picture in, in a larger picture here of Michigan State University, and uh, I I I'm, I would imagine that some 
some thought, hey, since this is, you know, coming after the Nassar, maybe there will be some, maybe some empathy in, in this case and, and maybe, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's horrible, I think, to make the two connect, connected too, but it's Michigan State as the umbrella. But, um, again, the jurors saw the evidence and came back and uh, made a decision. Right. And and so did you see Mateen's reaction after uh, the the verdict? And what did you think about it if you saw it? I saw some video after, outside the courtroom with yes. his attorneys. Yes. Yeah, I did see that. Um, and, you know, I saw him not too long, some time ago in, uh, at a restaurant and and he was with his family. Um, and a couple people would go up to him uh, from, you know, from time to time, you kind of interrupt him eating. And I just, it, this case was in the back of my mind as he was sitting there eating. And I just could imagine, you know, okay, he knows he's probably going to be facing uh, the uh, a jury again on these charges. You know, what, how, how is he feeling? But you got a chance to see uh, how he was feeling. I thought, you know, it, it was appropriate for him, obviously, going through that and and then coming out acquitted and sure, found not guilty. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, let's move on to the the sort of next thing. Uh, the nine year old girl. Um, terrible um, incident. She was mauled by a pit bull um, while she was. Uh, Walking down the street? Or was she riding her bike? She was on her bike. She was on in her the bike. Alley yes. area behind their house. Emma Hernandez, nine year old, um, and I was out in the neighborhood just yesterday. Um, and you know, you you have to. Your heart goes out to this family who lost this child in this way. And um, she was riding her bike and there were three dogs um, that attacked her. And uh, there was a person who came to her aid, um, uh, someone on the block. And then there was another woman who sat with her. Uh, I guess a man got there. He threw a brick at one of the dogs and I guess one got away and somebody ended up coming and shooting one of the dogs and um, and to get the dogs off of her. And so um, she, as she waited for EMS, um, a woman sat with her and was just trying to encourage her and to, to, to stay with her. And she said by the time EMS got there, she had lost the pulse. So um, and so this is um, this is one of those stories that I think will change something in the city of Detroit. People, you know, and then we're, we're, we we aired our story yesterday, just uh, Mayor Mike Duggan saying, you know, there's got to be something we can do um, with regards to owners and how they secure these animals and their pets. Um, better fencing. We've got to we've got to up our, um, you know, patrols and also enforcement of these these laws that we already have. And so um, it, it's just tragic and, and um, just a story today. I'm not sure if we're running it, but I did see it on social media. But uh, this young girl's uncle had to fend off two dogs in the same. Uh, actually, it's on the west side. Um, uh, and he shot at one of the dogs. Yes. So the city of Detroit has a problem if one child ends up dead because of a mauling, we have a problem. And so I think uh, you will see something done as a result. Right. And so you said you were out in the neighborhood yesterday. Yes, what was sir. the mood in 
in the neighborhood and what did you see and discover when you were out on assignment? Yeah, and I was I went to St. Hedwig Park, which uh, is a park next to the church where this young this young girl and her family are members at St. Hedwig. And uh, the mood, um, from what I can gauge, um, children are afraid. I did gauge that. Um, and you're know, like, you know, hey, we do see dogs from time to time, and, and now we're just going to run. And um, you feel for them because these were kids, you know, we play outside. And we, you don't have to worry about that. But these, this is a concern of kids now having to play outside. Um, so these were kids, are, I think they were like seven and eight years old, maybe nine, 10, 11, you know, still getting in that last play outside before summer, before school starts. And, and so there was a sense of 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 fear of of these young people playing outside and I talked to some parents there who knew uh, the family of Emma Hernandez and they said you know the community now that's this this is kind of the other part of the story when we see tragedies like this right you have the community respond and so now you're seeing the response people are just wanting to do something to support this family we've seen a GoFundMe page surpass forty thousand dollars and uh, that's another story taken up by the millionaire uh, Pulte is his last name I'm forgetting his first name at the moment uh, but kind of issue that Twitter challenge and so the funeral is paid for and they've got all of this money that they've raised. So now you see the support uh, around this this family. And so that's what I'm here. Even in talking to uh, the adults there, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm j- I'll check on her today. I'm going to go over to the house and let her know that you guys, because we were out at the park and talking. And so um, there is a community's response and they're wrapping their arms around this family. And that's the sense I get from from the adults. Okay. Um, about a decade ago, there was a movement where several communities around Metro Detroit decided to ban pit bulls um, in their communities because of these kinds of situations. Do you see this going hit Detroit headed in that fashion? And the second piece of it is how do you enforce it when it do, when if you do have it? I mean, because you know Detroit is not. Um, I don't know, Garden City, where you have a such a small community where you can drive around with your police cars and you can find the house that has the pit bulls, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Detroit is still, you know, 372 square miles. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, even though it still has, still has 600,000, 650,000 people. Um, and so it faces challenges in terms of that. And so, where do you see this headed um, as we move forward? And I think, and where do I see this headed? I don't see a ban completely. I don't see that for a couple reasons. Um, and, you know, we have dog lovers in the city who will probably fight that and probably could have a, a legitimate uh, lawsuit. I don't know. But uh, I don't see a citywide ban. I do see stepped up enforcement of those who, number one, who've, who, who, who've already had problems. Um, so if you have a pit, pit bull in the city of Detroit and the city has already maybe reached out to you or you've been reported on, there will be, I think, a stepped up uh, enforcement of certain things and action taken as a result, especially in those communities in Southwest Detroit, in particular, where you do see more uh, stray dogs or and or 
uh, homeowner or homes and owners with those dogs and maybe they're not um, in a secure yard and the fencing is not right or they've uh, they've gotten out before. I think the case today, I think the dogs jumped out of the window of a house, you know, to, to, to attack this man. And so I think there's going to be a stepped up enforcement and there there are going to be penalties. And the city using this instance, this tragedy will say we must do it. We must do it now. So I definitely see that. Okay. And before we move on to our next subject, put our listeners in the in the vantage point of you as a reporter. Because most people don't understand what we as reporters deal with, right? Um they think that we are uh people who have no feelings, have no empathy, um, and all of that. And we um we're just hardened people who ask these tough questions. Wow. Yeah. So so put our listeners in your shoes when you were in southwest Detroit um this this week in particular, um how tough it was for you to cover um a tragedy such as this and does it wear on you over time or is it something that you you know, you turn it on when you're at work and then you turn it off once you get home. There's definitely no turn on, turn off for me. I know for sure, and and and, and I can't speak for others, but I will say that you are affected by it. You know, um, you are. That's basically you are. And 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 if I could put you in my shoes, of course, um, you know, I come into work like you would go into work. You know, you have your mindset. Uh, and in my mind, I know because um, I'm reading news and I'm watching things even before I come in. I'm like, man, this is the story of the day, man. And I'm looking at the details and, you know, and my heart goes out to, you know, any victim of a tragic circumstance. It just does. And that's just, you know, when I when I see this young girl, Emma, I see my niece or my nephew who plays outside in Detroit and or my neighbor. And I, I, I see them as my neighbors. And so I in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm a woman of faith. I believe uh, in, in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say a prayer. I go out and I'm like, man, just bless this family. Comfort them. That's that's that that gets me through, you know, just in my mind, I can pray for them. And then when I go out and, you know, have to face families who are grieving, you you face reporters. We see people in their worst at their worst moment. And I think you just lead with compassion always. You know, you, I know that I'm going to get the story. I know that uh, I'm going to get audio as we call it in my business. We got to get audio. Um, I know that I'm going to get that lead with compassion and just, um, you know, just some empathy for them and what they're going through. And so a lot of times I'll just say, I initially just say, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I genuinely mean that. I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, I can't imagine what you're going through. A lot of times I tell them who I am. And I, if you have a few moments, I just want to just ask you a couple of questions. And, you know, um, and then the, most of the time people are gracious. Believe it or not, people are gracious in this these moments. Um, and so and, and I lead that way. And I just try, try, try to put myself in their shoes, you know. How would I want somebody to approach me if I just lost my son or my daughter? Um, I went to uh, 
the interview the family who lost the young man at the gas station who was, you know, he was hit. He They got into a car accident. The guy jumps out and he hits this guy and he dies. And so I was one of the uh, few reporters out there first and they were putting up ribbons in my heart. Sometimes, Darren, I'm, I'm going to admit, I'll sit in the car and cry a minute, you know, just to get myself together because this is this is tragic. And so I and they were gracious. I said, I'm so sorry. And then a lot of times they hug me. And so I don't I don't. I don't stop them from hugging me. I hug them back. You know, in in those cases, I'm not going. I'm I'm not going to hug you because I'm a reporter. That's crazy. Um, but uh, I've had people when I come up and I'll just say something and then they hug me and I'm like, okay, and then okay, and then I'll pause. I'll wait a minute. And then I'll say, is it okay if I can talk to you? I'd understand if you know. And then they they're gracious. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was the same thing here. Um, I was going to ask you. I know you have covered. Uh, and the same thing. The biggest one that stands out in my mind was when I was an intern at the Detroit News. And there was uh, a shooting or and a killing of a uh, eight-year-old, eight or ten years old young man killed by his neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, the neighbor, he was going across the street to play uh, with his neighbor and inside the house they were playing with the gun and they shot through um, wow. the the door and the young man was killed. Mm-hmm. And I had to drive to Flint um, and to interview his family Wow! the next day. The next day. And I am 20, maybe 21 years old at the time, right? And the only thing that I could do was was tell them that I am writing this story so that people can know who your child was um, and that they are not going to remember your child as someone who just got shot or was involved in a bad incident. And this was a way of telling at that at that point 650,000 readers yes. at the Detroit News um who your child was and they and that they're just not another blip on a screen um and then another one was um that same summer because I was filling in on the cop beat for uh Corey Williams shout okay. out to Corey Williams Corey. um I covered a uh shooting of a, sh- a murder of a young lady at who was getting robbed at a Taco Bell on the Taco Bell that's on Six Mile and Hubble? Hubble. I believe. Six Mile and Hubble. Okay. And I uh, tracked the lady down uh, or her family down at a house that was listed, Um, went over to the house, rang the doorbell, but I had to break the news. Oh, no. To the young lady that her cousin had been killed. Oh, wow. Um, Mind you. Wow. 20, 21 years old. Wow. Again, after we got over that shock. Wow. Because uh, we clearly, I was not anticipating that I was going to tell her that her cousin had died the day before. Um, But what we found out in having some of this compassion was that the cousin worked at the Taco Bell with the young lady or previously with the young lady and told her that she should leave that location because it was too dangerous for Mm. her 
And so it turned out to be a very good story, a very compassionate story, primarily because you had you were you you were dealt with a real life situation right in front of you and you don't have time to say anything other than being compassionate yes anything other than being i'm sorry not only for breaking this news to you or telling you about your cousin but for the loss itself right um and and that and i think having those experiences early in in my career uh it also helped me later on down the road um as i dealt with other murders and fire and all of those other kinds of things yes wow i can't imagine can't imagine it was tough to say the least yeah, yeah. you know i mean at 20 21 years old at any age it's very hard to to deal with but and and i'll say this too um i've ex- i've experienced this too when i've gone to fires and other shootings where people don't want to talk and they're angry and they don't want to see a reporter in their face with a microphone and i respect that too oh absolutely i respect that too uh i understand that um you may remember this last uh it was last summer a young man was killed over gym shoes i guess he was selling them online he met up with yes. uh, someone and something happened and the person shot and killed him yes and his mother who raised him right do everything right told him you know just be careful and so i remember being on the scene there uh, with a microphone just kind of standing off to the side this is what we do we we, we, go, we right. go to the scene and we stand off on the side and i'm always respectful of police and a grieving family and um i approach and the man just and that's all i needed he said we we don't want to talk right and 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 he yeah i, I i'm I yeah, understand. I, mean, I think one of as a as a journalist as a newspaper journalist i have an advantage um I could always walk to the scene. One of my one of my tricks for any journalism student that is listening right now, one of my tricks was I would put my notebook in my back pocket and I would just stand there and I would listen and I would talk as as any person that was watching what was going on happened. And then I would pull out my notebook after I got comfortable, after I assessed the situation and found that one person who you think might talk and then you ask them what was going on and then you kind of, you know, you gauge and then, you know, again, you're black in an all black situation. Um, that helps too. Yes. Um, because you're able to um, say if it's not for people like me, you're not going to get your loved one in the paper. No one else is going to show your side of the story as well as we can. Yes. Um, and that was one of the things that, that I tried to do as well. But but again, all of those things were learned very, very early. Um, and when I learned those very, very early, yes. it helped me later on in my career yes. as well. And speaking of tragedies, one happened yesterday, meaning – if you're if you're going to listen to it, it'll be a couple of days later. So this was Wednesday, um, as T. Grizzly uh, was uh, driving on the east side of Detroit, um, and he uh, his car was shot up. Um, it is in question whether he was the intended target of uh, 
what was going on yesterday, but as a result, his manager um, as a uh, was was killed, mm-hmm. and and so talk a little bit about this and whether this will be the spark that really gets the administration and the police chief active about the shootings that are going on in Detroit. This is uh in into the rap world this this is major. Absolutely. It is major. And to the rest of us uh, uh, who may not listen all that much to rap, we're thinking who is T Grizzly and you're probably looking him up right now. Oh, let me look up and see what happened. Who T, T Grizzly's from, you know, from the Detroit area and the manager, a young woman um killed on on the issue of crime. Um I think you know, this is another moment and I see this, you know, as an opportunity for the police chief with this community, right? With this community uh that who knows T Grizzly to to kind of make some inroads here. Because I, I don't my humble opinion, I don't think it was a random shooting. I think um they knew. Um and and then um, I think unfortunately maybe this young woman was not the target. Um, but she was with T. Grizzly. So uh, I think it's an opportunity for the police department to do something in regards to this community, to this, the, the rap world that exists. I think, um, I think some, I think. But, when but you, is the rap world disconnected from the average Detroiter? I mean, you're, you're talking about um, a whole genre of folks who listen to hip hop. Um, you're talking about a whole bunch of people who were 30, 35, yeah. 20, 25 and under, and under yeah. who who listened to that music, you know. And so he was and, – and he was homegrown. Yes. And so I don't necessarily know if it just is um, – hits the hip-hop community because the hip-hop community is – for the most part, a large segment of who Detroit is, right? Yes. So we know that we have problems in our neighborhoods. Um, we've seen, um, you know, campaigns about check yourself. You've seen the mayor who was sitting with uh, gang leaders or crime leaders, you know, and had pizza with them. But so far this summer, none of it has worked. What is going to make it work? What is going to make people get off their butts and get serious about dealing with crime in Detroit? Yeah. I th- and I'm shaking my head and on, on the microphone, folks, you can't see me. I'm in, in agreement. I, I have those same questions uh, that you have. Um, I, From what I can see, I think um, – there still is this problem of people thinking they can shoot and get away with it. And and we see that all the time. And I think, and this is my humble opinion, when I stand back and make an observation, I think in, in a certain uh, a certain group of people, those who want to commit a crime, they're probably thinking, you know, I can I can do this and not get caught. Nobody's going to say anything. And that's where we need to hone in on, you know, how can we, one, change that mindset like you can you can shoot somebody and get away with it. 
And then two, for the, for those who see something, to say something. How do you? Those are the areas I think uh, we can deal with. And and if the police have answers, I I'm open to them. I think the to his credit, Chief Chief James Craig has done well in uh, with the green light program. There are green lights everywhere, and I th- I think the way they can respond to crime because of green light is a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. I don't know if it's a big deterrent with crimes like the one we're talking about, a drive-by shooting. Um, people not, uh, you know, because how many, I mean, I'm like, like I'm talking to an audience, but how many of you know, if you could raise your hand, that the people in that vehicle probably know who the shooters are? Sure. They probably do. Right. And in a lot of instances, I've had detectives tell me a lot of times people know who the shooter is. Sure. How, they don't say anything. And for, for whatever reason, they don't. And that that's a problem we have. That's a pro- I have no idea what the answer is. Right. I have no idea. Okay. Right. <laughs> and one final and issue I failed to mention earlier in the broadcast is about facial recognition technology because you're talking about all of the things that help to deter crime. Um, Although there's a very mixed bag on facial recognition technology and because it does not necessarily uh, pick up on uh, the right victim or the right um, assailant in what is going on. And so Tell me about your coverage on uh, facial recognition technology and where is this thing going in Detroit? So uh, facial recognition technology is already being used in Detroit, number one. Uh, First of all, uh, Michigan State Police have been using it for years, more than a decade. And the police department has been using MSPs software and their technology. So what we have in this discussion and debate today is, hey, the city of Detroit police department purchased their own software and now they need policy to uh, govern this software. And that's where we are with this discussion because they're using it, right? Um, They just need the board of police commissioners to adopt a policy to govern it. And so the concern, legitimate uh, and we saw in, in the exchange and Twitter uh, Twitter posts uh, on recently uh, between Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and the police department. But the concern is that, hey, this technology misidentifies people a lot and in particular African-Americans. And so black and brown people in particular and also mostly African-Americans. So the police department has been hearing it from the community. Hey, look, this is the problem we have. We don't like this and we don't want you to use it. And the police department is like, hey, wait a minute. We're not using it in the way that you think we are. They, the police department, the chief Craig and, and the mayor, Mayor Mike Duggan has come out to say, hey, look, we are not using this technology in for surveillance. In other words, if you're walking down the street, you've seen it on the movies where, you, you know, your face is digitized and then it's transferred back. And so it's in real time that, you know, they're not using it that way. And, for example, and just sitting and talking with the chief yesterday or this recently, he um, gave us an example of what he called a mass mass shooting where a man came into a house party 
opened fire, shooting five people, killing three. And the man had a mask on, but a witness remembered what he was wearing. And so they checked some green lights, gas stations. Boom. There he is. He's in the gas station. He's wearing the same clothes, but he doesn't have his mask on. And so just so they can get a suspect or someone, they took took the steel picture from that uh, green light uh, video camera or camera and ran it through their system. And they showed us reporters, a number of reporters say, hey, we ran this picture through our system and these are the faces that came up. There were four different men. And they're saying, looking at this man and the pictures that came up, they don't match. So we would immediately, these guys are this, these guys are not the one. And so they have a picture, though, right? Now they're just trying to identify. And the man um, uh, had a Facebook page. And so they found him on Facebook. Of course. I'm just saying, if you got Facebook, and so he's on Facebook with money and guns and so on, and so they matched him. Go on Facebook Live with all your stuff. Yeah, that's what, you know, he had pictures. He was on top of a car. You know, he's got a lot of money. And so they were able to identify him through, and they didn't, it wasn't live surveillance. It's like they saw, they saw the picture of this man wearing the same clothes as the witnesses said that he was wearing when they robbed, when he robbed him and shot him. And so now they have the person's not arrested, by the way. And and here's some numbers for you. Um, Detroit Police Department, according to the chief, has used facial recognition four times since June. Three of those cases are still pending. One of the cases, one I'm speaking of, they've identified. So it's and, and the, the chief will say this count over and over. This is just a tool to help solve a crime. And he he wants the focus to be more on the victims and also the the perpetrators in this case. And so he said he met with a number of families of victims and he said to them, you know, we're going to go back in some of these old cases. And if where there is video, we're going to try to find a face through our technology um, and through our system to match. And he's he said they got an applause. You know, people really want Something to help solve these old cases, and we have a lot of them in the city of Detroit. Sure, 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 sure. Well, we're running short on time, so give us your final thoughts on everything that we've talked about and uh, tell folks where they can find you um, and give your email address, your phone numbers, and all of that good stuff. Sure. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't know how to synopsis, how to, how to bring this to a synopsis, but uh, it's just an honor. Uh, I, I consider it uh, a blessing to be able to work in this field with people like yourself. I'm Darren Nichols on the beat. It was, I always was glad to see him on the scene or something because I know if, if I had a question, if I was like, man, I missed that, I can go and ask Darren. So it's been an honor to, to work in this field and with so many uh, very um, just dynamic people like yourself. Um, I enjoy this work um, and, you know, um, hug a reporter. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. But uh, we, we I, I just enjoy the work and um, and in helping to sh- to sh- to pass on information. Um, I do enjoy that part of it. And um, I look forward to many more years. Um, you can reach me if you have a story. I'm always looking for stories. I'm on social we're media. We're always looking. On, always we're always looking for stories. For stories. I was looking for stories, uh, so I'm on social Plug, media. we're looking for stories here. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, and I listen to Darren, too, so I'm listening to his podcast. Look, 
list looking for stories. And so, and I appreciate the work that you're continuing to do in this brand new world of, of, of journalism, really podcasting. Who, who, who would have known many years ago? So I'm at, at, at S Davis, WWJ on Twitter and Stephanie Davis on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Stephanie D underscore 313, Stephanie D underscore 313. And uh, I sure I give my number if uh, you have a story idea. I have a number for you. Two, four, eight, eight, four, zero, fifty nine, twenty five, two, four, eight, eight, four, zero, fifty nine, twenty five. Well, again, thank you, Stephanie, for appearing on Beyond the Headlines. And that will be it for this week. And you all have a blessed week. As we leave Beyond the Headlines this week, I want to give you, as we always do, an inspirational quote that you can ponder this week. This one is from Dr. Benjamin E. Mays the former president of Morehouse College. It must be borne in mind that the tragedy of life does not lie in reaching your goal. The tragedy of life lies in having no goal to reach. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.